Are you stuck in the past? Here's some encouragement from Pastor Ed Taylor. I've watched Christians get more discouraged and more depressed than I've ever seen before under this weight of discouragement and this weight of condemnation. They've just really never grasped the truths that there is no condemnation in your life, none in Jesus Christ. Oh, there will be friends that might condemn you. There might be family members that that want to bring up your past, but Jesus Christ dealt with your past. And if you and I choose to look backwards, that's where we're going to be stuck. And it doesn't feel good to be stuck. As a matter of fact, the Bible would tell us that we have been delivered from that place of being stuck. We were delivered from the miry clay. God has put our feet on a solid rock. He's put a new song in our heart. But the enemy says, what about five years ago? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my When things go from bad to worse in our lives, we may start to wonder, does God still love me? The enemy will try to convince us that he doesn't, but the truth is nothing can separate us from Jesus' love. And I mean nothing. That's the glorious reality we'll discuss today on Abounding Grace as we reopen Romans chapter 8. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that was the sum of what we looked at last time. What are we going to say to these things? I mean, I know at the end of verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? I know what I say. I say, wow. Because all of the things that Paul has shared with us in Romans chapter 8, it's mind-blowing to think of the goodness of God. Unless we forget where we've come from, it's easy to forget the context, the big picture of our study, not only in the book of Romans, but let alone just in chapter 8. Remember in verse 1, chapter 8 opens up these glorious freeing truths that there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, none whatsoever. That's where Paul turned the corner. From chapter 7, he's wrestling with the flesh. He's dealing with, oh, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And then he opens up, oh, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. He said the law, verse 3, was weak in the flesh, but God interceded what the law couldn't do God did he says that you don't and I don't have to live according to the flesh but we're free now to live in the spirit he says in verse 15 that we've been adopted into this family and we have now God as our Abba daddy he's not some distant creator some distant deity but he has a personal relationship with his creation he goes on from that and he begins to teach us how the spirit bears witness that we're children He says in verse 18 that the sufferings we experience right now aren't worthy to be compared with what's up ahead in eternity. That the things that we're going through are just temporary. And they're not to be compared with what God has promised. He says in verse 26 that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. When we don't know how to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us. He says in verse 29 that God foreknew you and He predestined you, Christian. He called you and He justified you and... He's glorified you. And so he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
I mean, it's powerful to think of the faithfulness of God. Look at Philippians chapter 3. I'll draw your attention to verse 13. You know, we're free in Jesus Christ not to look back anymore, but to look forward. We've been delivered from the bondage of sin in Jesus Christ. We've been delivered from aimless wandering. We have been freed from bondage that would hold us back from living a life that's pleasing to Jesus Christ. It's not just the mundane things of life that that now we live for, but we live for Jesus. And the mundane things in life take on a new vibrancy as we use them to reach people with the gospel. And in Philippians chapter 3, it says in verse 13, brethren... I don't count myself to have apprehended, Paul says, looking at his life. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. And church, may we reach forward. May we not be tethered by our past. Whether other people are trying to bring the past up or our own minds bring the past up or we are processing what, where we are now because of what of our... May God, may God just deliver us from that kind of thinking because there is now therefore no condemnation. And so if there's no condemnation, then there's a deliverance from our past. There's a cleansing of our life. He says, this one thing I do, and Paul had much to regret in his past, but he says, I'm not looking back. I'm going to look forward. I'm going to press toward, verse 14, the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we looked, yes, there are things that come against us for sure. You know, when you look at verse 31, you think, well, wait a minute, Ed, are they saying that the Christian never faces any obstacles, never faces any troubles? No way. We looked at it. There are spiritual enemies in our lives. We're in a spiritual battle now. There are life situations that come against us. There are things that, you know, we even beat ourselves up. We can be our own worst enemy at times. And when they all come together, I mean, it can be a difficult road to walk. And yet God is for us. And it all depends, your life really all depends on which side of that verse you emphasize. Is it God being for you or is it everything being against you? And I've met people that they, that's how they live. Instead of really facing the things in their lives, you have this, woe is me, everybody's against me. I don't get any breaks. I, I, everyone else seems to be blessed. And, I, and, and they just get caught in this rut instead of focusing, look what God has done for you. And what God continues to do. You see in verse 32 now he says, here's the proof. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then he says in verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You know, a lot of people, a lot of things bring charges against God's elect. And this section of Romans, if Romans chapter 8 had to have an overarching theme, I think it would be this. There is great security in Jesus Christ. You can have security in the Lord. With all the insecurities you might feel and all the things you might face, Romans chapter 8 is there to remind us that there is security and safety in Jesus Christ. Like you've never experienced before. When you and I exercised our faith, we we, we received great security. Great encouragement, but there are enemies to that security. There are enemies of our faith that cause doubts and insecurities. If you're taking notes, let me jot a few down for you to walk through what Paul says here in this section. That there are enemies of your security in God's love. You see, at the end, Paul's going to say, nothing can separate us from the love of God, from the love of Jesus Christ, nothing. And yet there are times when we sense and we feel, and that's a key, that we feel like God doesn't love us anymore. And here are some enemies. Number one, there is the problem, the enemy of opposition. Christians face opposition. He says very, very clearly 
that there are those that will be against us. You know, if God's for us, who can be against us? That's the perspective. It's not that no one's going to be against us. There will be those that come against us every day, at every turn, every week. There seems to be things that go against us. I mean, if we took opportunity today to have everybody come up here one by one and share the opposition that's going on in your life right now, just to share what's going on, the things that you face, pushing you back on your heels, making you afraid, causing anxiety, I mean, we'd be here all day. The second service would come in and go, hey, there's no room, I can't park, I can't sit. What are you guys doing? Oh, we're just sharing our stories of opposition because we all have them. Some of you, your whole life has been one big opposition made up of a lot of little things. Opposition of the mind, opposition of family, opposition of friends, you name it. There's just always a pushing and an opposing against you in your Christian walk. And there are things that, I mean, there are things that come against us that oppose us in our faith. Life can be difficult. You know, it, 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 just the simple things like financial difficulties oppose our faith. So how am I going to get through this? Trusting in the Lord. You know, marital difficulties can be great opposition in our life. How am I going to get through this? Trusting in the Lord. Medical conditions can bring great opposition to you and your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe even leading you to think that God doesn't love you anymore. How do I get through this? By faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what Paul's been teaching us in the book of Romans, to trust in the Lord. Not to trust in man. Not to trust in what we have or what we know. You know, I found that the stronger Christians in my life that I have in my life that I have relationships with, the difference between the stronger Christians and what we might consider weaker Christians is how they respond to tough situations. I mean, how you and I choose, see, if all of us face opposition, then how we choose to respond to it will dictate the way we live our life. If we allow all this opposition to bury us, take us away from the things of the Lord, move us away from our spiritual disciplines, get us away from Christian fellowship, push us in into the world. And a lot of people respond, well, this is a tough situation. I think I'll go get drunk. That's what I'll do. I'll go get drunk. And what happens when you go get drunk? Usually horrible things happen. You start making more mistakes. And now not only do you have the, the condemnation and, and the personal condemnation of just making bad decisions, but then bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And perhaps your life has been marked by alcohol your entire life. God delivers you. But then when tough times come, you run right back to the arm of the flesh and it messes you up. And maybe you're not one that runs to alcohol. Maybe when opposition comes, you just like to tuck it all in. You're not going to tell anybody about it. You're just going to tuck it in. You're going to tuck it in. You're going to keep it in. You're going to keep it in until finally you just, well, you just explode. Some of you explode by having heart attacks. And you find yourself in the hospital because you never really dealt with the opposition spiritually. You really chose not to trust in the Lord. So you took it in and you don't have this anger streak in you. You just have your heart's taking it all and your heart just collapses because of the pressure. Others of you, though, unfortunately, you do have an anger streak. And as you tuck it in and you tuck it in and you tuck it in, you explode and all those around you have to suffer the consequences. I mean, there are the problem of opposition. It gets in between us and the love of Jesus Christ. See, God is for you, 100%, absolutely. But we do face opposition. It does take us away from the Lord. Number two, there's the problem of accusations. That's found in verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, charges come against God's elect all the time. Accusations. You know, Revelation calls Satan the accuser of the brethren, and accusations come a lot toward God's elect. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 8, would you turn there with me? John chapter 8, Jesus describes the devil. 
and in describing the devil, gives us the root of where all these accusations come from. Let me tell you, as a Christian, you're just going to face accusations. People are going to point the finger at you. People are going to accuse you of things you didn't do. They're going to misunderstand you. And, and that's going to be an opposition. You're going to sense, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have faith in Jesus Christ. Why is this happening to me? Because it happens to all of us. And the more you lay your life out, serving Jesus Christ, the more you get involved in people's lives, the more that you serve and sacrifice on the altar of ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ and you just laid yourself out like Romans says, as we'll learn later, that you're giving yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord, you will face accusations. And one of the sources of accusations is the devil himself. Look at verse 44 with me, would you, in John chapter 8? The root of these accusations from the enemy is just simply lies. And again, how we respond to accusations are, are going to determine the life that we live. I mean, if you're always on the defense, always trying to defend yourself, then you don't give God a chance to defend yourself. He wants to defend you. He wants to be your strength. And so he, Jesus has some stern words here. He says, you are the, of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resource. He's talking about the devil here, for he is a liar and the father of it. So accusations come. You see, no one can successfully accuse you in Jesus Christ because in Jesus Christ you are cleansed and you are washed and you are forgiven and your salvation is secure in the Lord. But accusations are going to come. That's why it's so important for us as Christians to live what the old King James calls above reproach. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Often this is the section that we will take young men and young women that want to serve in the ministry. Say, you know, I think I have a calling, Pastor Ed. I want to serve in the ministry. I want to be a spiritual leader. And we'll point them to 1 Timothy and say, okay, well, let's look at some of the characteristics and some of the qualities that God is looking for in an elder and in a deacon and in those that take spiritual oversight of the church, male and female for that matter, in looking at deaconesses and those that have responsibility of elders and deacons, deaconesses. In verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, or the word could also be translated overseer, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. You can circle that word blameless and just right next to it, above reproach. That when reproaches come, your life is above them. Because accusations are going to come. Christian and Christian leader. Accusations are going to come. When people find out you're a Christian, they're going to be examining you. They're going to be testing you. They're going to be testing everything you say, everything you do. And along the way, they're going to be accusations. But the spiritual leader, the Christian, and by the way, I don't think it's just reserved just to spiritual leaders. Well, that's the, the responsibility of a pastor. No, I think I can step back by way of application and say it's a responsibility of Christians to live in this world above reproach so that when accusations come, they don't stick when accusations come, and they do, when the investigation is made, they find, you know, that was a lie. That wasn't true at all. And I know what has happened in recent years within the church here in the United States with the scandals that we've seen with spiritual leaders, that when the accusations came, it was the truth. And it broke our heart. We thought, how could that possibly happen? How could a man that appeared to be used so greatly by God get caught up in junk like that? How could they be ripping off the church? How could they be in sexual sin? How could they be? I'll tell you how it could be. They chose not to live above reproach. And their life in secret was not the same life that they had out in public. 
And that's the same danger that we face because accusations come, charges will come against us. The idea behind this word in the original language is that there is nothing in your life or mine that you're holding on to that you know is sin. There's nothing that you know absolutely. Nobody has to come to your house. You know. Nobody has to sit you down for an interview. You know. You know it's wrong that you're watching these things. You know it's wrong that you're surfing these sites. You know it's wrong that you're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. You know that it's wrong that you're taking things from your company. You know that it's wrong that you're not paying your employees properly. You know that it's wrong that you're not paying your taxes. You know. And you're holding on to it. So that when the Bible, as it tells us, be sure that your sin will find you out, it just seems to be chasing you around, and you know it. And you just stuff it down like it's no big deal, but it is, because charges come. You see, a man that can't deal with his own sin is disqualified from dealing with and ministering to other men with sin in their lives. It's a disqualification. It's a disqualification, and it's an open door for reproach to be brought upon the name of Jesus Christ. What blameless doesn't mean is perfection. So Timothy isn't being told by Paul, hey, you got to find perfect people for the ministry. No, it's not what he's saying at all. But with what you say and how you interact and how you minister to others, it's above reproach. So opposition comes and it steals away. You see, when accusations come and over and over again and it gets surfaced, you think, oh, oh, God doesn't love me anymore. No, God continues to love you unconditionally. Number three, you know, there's another area that tends to steal away this joy and love of the Lord, and it's condemnation. Back in Romans chapter 8, notice verse 34. See, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, but things tend to push us away. There's opposition, there's accusation. Then look at verse 34 in Romans chapter 8, there's condemnation. See, condemnation is the enemy of security in the Lord. It says, who is he who condemns? It's not Jesus, I'll tell you that. It's not Jesus that condemns you. It's not Jesus that brings these feelings of condemnation. I've seen people walk around. I've seen, this has been more and more over the last five, six years. I've watched Christians get more discouraged and more depressed than I've ever seen before under this weight of discouragement and this weight of condemnation. They've just really never grasped the truths that there is no condemnation in your life, none in Jesus Christ. Oh, there will be friends that might condemn you. There might be family members that, that want to bring up your past. But Jesus Christ dealt with your past. And if you and I choose to look backwards, that's where we're going to be stuck. And it doesn't feel good to be stuck. As a matter of fact, the Bible would tell us that we have been delivered from that place of being stuck. We were delivered from the miry clay. God has put our feet on a solid rock. He's put a new song in our heart. But the enemy says, what about five years ago? What about ten years ago? And our constant focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. Condemnation is not coming from the Lord. You just know that right now. It doesn't come from Jesus Christ. So somehow and somewhere, you and I, we, we are in that midst of condemnation, whether it's from someone else or upon ourselves, we have drifted from the truth because it's not coming from him. Notice in verse 34, it's Christ that died. There's no condemnation because Christ died. Furthermore, he also rose from the dead who's even at the right hand of God, God, notice, who's making intercession for you. Jesus interceding for you in heaven. The Holy Spirit interceding through you and for you here on earth. I love that because Jesus is interceding for us, just like he did with Peter. Praying for Peter. He says, Peter, listen. You can jot this one down. I'll just read it to you in Luke chapter 21. He tells Peter, listen, 
Satan has indeed asked for you to sift you like wheat, but Peter, I've prayed for you. And that continual interceding that your strength and your power comes from, well, the intercession of Jesus Christ. He knows exactly what to pray for you and me. And even if we begin to condemn ourselves, flip over to 1 John chapter 3. All these enemies, they're so powerful, making Christians lack zeal. I think it's just a move today to get an inward focus. You know, you're reading any, you go out to the Christian bookstore and you start picking up a book. It's a bestseller. Somebody recommended it to you and it's in the Christian bookstore and it was written by some Christian. Let me tell you, one way to find out if it really is a profitable book for you is if the book points you to Jesus Christ. If the book's just talking a lot about you and a lot about your problems and a lot about all your issues, it's not going to help you that much because you read a book like that and you're all bummed out. I know, I feel like this. I know. You don't need to tell me. And there's like 10 chapters of how horrible you feel. And then one chapter, oh, by the way, you're a Christian. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. You want one that's going to get you out of the rut, bring you up out of the muck and mire, encourage you, even if it's just for a moment. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our apps, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, then click Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We're consistently hearing from people that are growing by God's abounding grace as they take in and apply the Word of God. Your gifts help to make that possible. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Chuck Smith's book, Faith. Maybe you've wondered, what is faith? Where does it come from? And how does it work? Pastor Chuck explores those questions and many others that relate to the issue of faith in this helpful book. Request it today when you call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Pastor Ed, Good Friday is tomorrow, and we have a special service plan for the noon hour. What can we expect during that service, and how can our listeners join us? Well, Good Friday is tomorrow, and it is a day that we set aside. It is a short service, about an hour, where we have a few songs uh, that we open up in to prepare our hearts and worship before God. And then I take some time to explain in great detail the scourging or the beating of Jesus and the crucifixion, and what it would do to a body, and what the physical ramifications of a scourging and a crucifixion is. I have to say, Good Friday, uh, I don't know who termed it Good Friday, except for the sense that it's good that Jesus gave his life for us, uh, but it's not good for Jesus. It wasn't good for the crucified. It was painful, difficult, and dark. And the people fled, the followers and friends of Jesus fled from him, in a very dark time, in a very, it was very difficult for them as they lose their friend and their confidant. And we'll be here at noon. It's a tradition here at Calvary where we gather at noon. It's a solemn service, but it's a powerful one because we need to get our minds in the, in the right framework as we expect the resurrection of Jesus, as we know that difficulty precedes greatness, darkness precedes light. 
The diamond's luster is seen on the backdrop of a dark piece of velvet, and so it is in the life of Jesus Christ is its greatest and seen in its greatest glory on the backdrop of the darkness of his scourging, his beating, and his crucifixion. It's a service you don't want to miss, and we keep it short so you can take a lunch break and just show, come out, take your lunch, come to church, uh, come through the service, and go right back to work with your heart and mind focused on the great sacrifice. You'll Put it this way, remembering on Good Friday, you will never take the element of the bread and communion the same way ever again, as it represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. That's what we talk about on Good Friday. Again, that's Good Friday at noon here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. We'll also have special Easter services, too, Saturday at 4 and 6 p.m., as well as Sunday at 645, 845, and 1045 in the morning. Go to calvaryco.church for more information or to watch our services live. Tomorrow, we'll take a break from Romans and bring you a special message from Ed Taylor called The Great Thing of the Second Chance. Join us Good Friday for Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.